of tuning into being trans. Uh, I have been extremely busy. And one of the things that I love to do is catch up on science. And anytime a friend or a loved one might send me something, I generally will take a look at it. Um, even if listeners send me stuff, I will take a look at it. I will have the t I will spend the time and really dive into it if it is something that is worthwhile. Something came across my desk and I was I was in a bit of shock to be quite honest about it because I'd never heard of it before. Doesn't mean that it didn't exist, but I personally had never heard of it before. Um and I I I do hear quite a few strange and unusual um, things, but this this really woo took me right out of the ballpark. And the the way I look at life and writing is be careful how far you dig. You may not like what you find out. Okay, so. In saying that, I really try to be careful of what I'm willing to go down a rabbit hole for. Because I may find out that my next door neighbor might be the biggest jerk in the world. Or that my for, that my family in the U.S. is worse than I thought they were. Or that a loved one is actually a monster. So... I try to be very careful when I dig. But this came across my desk and I thought, I'm going to dig. I'm going to find out what it means. Because when it comes to being transgender, I am not happy with just saying I am transgender. I want to know why. It is a, and if anybody's ever followed me, it is, or heard anything that I talk about, why is my biggest question. Was it because my mom may have took something when I was in um, in in utero with her? Is it because you know, and that and you know, she was trying to make sure she didn't have a miscarriage or something, or maybe it was because I actually do have a set of different chromosomes than standard X Y. Um, Maybe there is something wrong with my chromosomes. Maybe the, and, and this is why my brain and my body don't line up. Um, I've spent plenty of time picking it apart and realize it's not a mental health issue. Um, but I do have something we're going to talk about. But it's not the same as the subject of today's show. Today's subject is on a thing called R-O-G-D. So that's Rapid Onset Gender Dysphoria. It's like sort of saying, one day you're fine, the next day, surprise, out of nowhere, you want to chop off something and become the opposite gender. It, And as silly as that sounds, there is actually groups out there who think that way. That just one day out of the blue, you will have gender dysphoria. And as a person who has gender dysphoria, I would love to tell these people to go jump off of a, you know, a, a, 
a short pier or a very tall bridge. Um, but I'm not that type of a person. But rapid onset gender dysphoria is not necessarily about adults. There is a doctor in, um, um, I believe she's in um, Canada or in the U.S., one of the two. I lean more towards the U.S. Um, I Right off the top of my head, I personally don't really want to go into who she, you know, her background. But her name is Dr. Lisa Littman. And if you want to go out there and search her out, I would encourage to look at it. You can even go to the uh, beingtrans.org and on the tabs of gender at the top, you can click on there. And I wrote a post about her study. Now, her study is, is about rapid onset gender dysphoria. This is nothing new, but here is um, someone that actually decided... I want to search this out and write about it. Now, one of the things that we have to be careful in the scientific, uh, in the fields of science is bias. It is the worst thing to anything. You can't, could you imagine if you had someone sitting under the apple tree, the apple falls on his head and he says, oh, the earth must be spinning counterclockwise. That's the reason that fell on my head and publishes it because he believes in the flat earth theory. But it is just a joke because not a single person with a lick of sense in, in looking at science would go, yeah, that's right. Um, that's why most major scientists, and I do mean like 99.999% think the flat earth theory is just a bunch of hogwash. But then we have people that are out there who are in the medical field, who trust medical science, who don't want to get the COVID vaccine and want to shove ivermectin up their hoo-hahs. So let's just leave that for a thought. But let's get back to Dr. Lisa. Um, and what she did was to create a study that was so heavily biased that it was difficult to read it. Now, most of the time to avoid bias, we use a thing called a blind study, which to give you a, and then if you really wanted to make it really ugh, have power, you do what's called a double blind study. A double blind study is one in which neither participants nor the experimenters know who is receiving a particular treatment. This is also a procedure utilized to prevent bias in the research results. A, dutter, a double blind uh, studies are particularly useful in pre uh, preventing bias due to uh, demand characteristics or a placebo effect. And if you're going, wait a second, that sounds more like medical. Well, it also works in uh, mental health areas too, because what happens is you have someone who's giving a study and you may have people in that study that do not have these problems at all. And you try to create a, a pool of people. Generally, the bigger the pool, the better the pool. The more narrow the pool, 
the more it is subjected to bias. And when you look at that, you've, you've got to be careful. So even if you're creating um, a that double blind study and you give out a questionnaire sheet, you need to make sure that you're giving a questionnaire sheet that is equal straight across the board and that your pool is equal. So in other words, if you have women only in that pool and it's about erectile dysfunction, it's going to be really skewed and really crazy. If you have men in it, because it affects men, that's great. But you also need to have some women in there because the way they see erectile dysfunction in people that they care about is valid. And the same thing goes for like COVID, the, the shots, um, they have, they did double blind studies. So there was placebos given, there was the real vaccine given. And what they found out is that the real thing actually does work based off of a set, um, guidelines that existed for not only for those that got the real vaccine, but those that received the placebo. And this is, this is generally the safest way to get the most accurate information. But Dr. Littman, um, created a hypothesis, um, and on gender dysphoria that it can just one day be there. And she coined the phrase ROGD, rapid onset gender dysphoria. She coined it. So in other words, she created it. It wasn't anybody else. It wasn't done by a pool of scientists. It wasn't done by a pool of doctors. It was one doctor, one doctor. Now, if you look at a hospital, how many doctors exist in a hospital? You'd be shocked how many are actually in there. If you look at like a... Um, I have a friend that works in um, bioengineering. You know how many scientists are in that place? Oh my gosh. Like they have close to 400 staff and 300 of them, 300 of them are scientists. But you have one that decides that the earth spins the opposite direction and that's why the apple fell. Or you have a community of doctors working trying to understand the most they can about being transgender. And one of them comes up with a hairball idea. It doesn't involve anyone else in the study. Doesn't team up with another doctor, which if you go to um, the website, uh, beingtrans.org, You'll see that in the, uh, there's a hyphen between being and trans, so it's being-trans.org. Um, there is a section of evidence that I give. And you'll notice that there is a lot of trip, double and triple names. There's, I think this is the first time I've ever seen one name on a study that is in, that could be important. But she created this hypothesis and didn't involve anybody else. Now, if you're not sure and, and you're, you don't know what a hypothesis is, 
a hypothesis is an assumption that is made based on the basis of some evidence. So you have to have evidence of this to create this guess. So it, it's, it's like you're sitting under the apple tree and it falls on your head and you go, that's weird. It fell straight down. I wonder what makes things fall straight down. Pick up the apple, drop it. Oh, I wonder if that's a law of some sort. Maybe, maybe there's a rule. Maybe there's something that's pulling it down. Maybe I need to talk to some of my fellow scientists and we should come up with a hypothesis on why the apple falls straight down and not to left and not to right. So, and that's how a, a, a hypothesis is generally created. Okay. You have to have some evidence to start it or else you're just talking out your ass. And when you read the study that Dr. Littman has written, you've got to wonder where she came up with the hypothesis because there is no evidence to say this exists. There's nobody out there that just goes, hey, yesterday I was feeling perfectly fine. Today, I swear to God, I want to have it all chopped off because I am definitely not this gender. We who are in the transgender community, since the time that we could remember, have been dealing with our gender dysphoria. It it. You know, and it, it's it's one of those things that isn't fast. It is slow. Um, for me to give you an example, I first started having um, questions about what was going on with my body when I was about six years old. Um, I remember where it was at, what was happening, and why it happened. And I still kind of freak out when I look back and say, wow, that was, you know, I'm looking back and wondering why is that? Why did that end up that way? And then I just sort of go, okay, well, you know, that's that. We'll move forward. And then I look at when I was 10 and how it started getting worse. And then I looked at when I was 12 and 14 and 18, 30 and 45. And where I'm at now at 52, I've looked at how my gender dysphoria has always been there. And it fluctuates up and down. Sometimes it can be negligible. I don't even recognize that I'm having dysphoric moments. Other times I can look at it and go, gosh, I am having the rottenest day with this. And when you're looking at that, gender dysphoria does ebb and flow in people that have it. It isn't just click, I'm 12 years old, I have gender dysphoria. No, you have a lead up to it. Um, and it can be quite stressful. It can be quite harmful to the person that's experiencing it because there's a lot of emotions that are going on. There's a lot of blaming yourself, um, blaming things that don't make any sense. And parents sometimes don't know what's going on. Now, Dr. Littman came up with this idea that it just comes out of middle of nowhere. And so what she does is starts to create a study. She creates her hypothesis by herself with no evidence, just an idea. And then 
starts looking to create a study based on that idea to see if it actually is a viable idea. Now, the problem with this is not only did she not talk to anybody else in her, in, in the already existing circles of um, gender sciences, um, she then went one step further into the dark where she was like, okay, where am I going to get people to, to take a study with me, to do this study on? And she went out and found a few different um, organizations who should be on my, um, who should and probably will eventually get on my list of um, dangerous groups if they're not already there. And their websites. And what she did is she went to them and found people that have children that are having dysphoric issues or are gender incongruent. And she pulled 256 um, people out of this. Not, And we're not counting just 256 children. We're just counting 256 people. Um, sorry, that one's got it backwards. 256 children out of these right-wing anti-transgender websites that have children with these issues. And so we've already seen the first biased problem here. You didn't go out and look for, um, to grab a pool of everyday people who might have children that are having those type of issues. You went to anti-trans groups, which were already biased in what they do. So there's no scientific wet ebb and flow in that. And then she only created a pool of people, of, of, the, of the people she wanted to talk to, who were, it's so heavily biased. It's 82, 82 to 86% um, young females who are questioning, and the rest are young males who are questioning and their families. And when you look at, no matter what you ask of this pool, you've not only taken a study that you have created, you've also made it so heavily biased that no matter what you ask is automatically biased. Because you can't, if you're trying to figure out if rapid onset gender dysphoria exists, you need a pool of people from all walks of life. Okay, poor, wealthy, middle class families. You need 50% girls and 50% boys. All right. And I'm talking gender at birth, um, chromosomal gender. And then you have to validate their gender. So, because if you have a child that has Kienfelger syndrome, or you have someone that has XXXXY, or someone who has, you know, double Y, or an extra chromosome, then you've, you've also got to look at how does this completely flub up your grouping. 
And she didn't do that. She just took those that are born female at 82 to 86% of them, and the rest are born male. Okay, and we're, let's again, we're talking physical gender. We're not talking anything else. And when you look at that kind of a, of a, a, a scale, it's tipped completely wrong. Now, if you look at that type of scale in regards to trying to get a proper crosscut of society, it's, it's not there either because she's chosen middle-class families um, as her grouping because we don't have socioeconomic, we have to say middle-class because we don't have a socioeconomic in her study. Um, there's no, there's no validating the people. So you really don't know what kind of walk of life they're coming from or where they live. So she's only taking people in the U.S., in Canada, in her study. She didn't take anybody from Australia, Sweden, uh, Russia, anywhere else. Africa, it doesn't matter. They're not in this study. So you're really now even more heavily biased. And her peers, after she wrote this, peers throughout the industry came back and just ripped her a new one. I mean, I have, there's a thing where you make such science that the groups all go, what the heck were you thinking? Where did you come up with this idea? There is, um, there's a, a scientist called Tanner Hall, and they wrote Littman's abstract suffers from so many methodological flaws, logical errors, and unacknowledgeable bias that it fits firmly into the category of junk science. This person isn't a gender scientist. This is just a normally a normal scientist who took a look at it. Wait, what the? Are you nuts? Are you nuts? Because this is just shockingly bad. You put your name to this. You not only have created junk science, you put your name to this. There's even um, two doctors, a Dr. Florence Ashley and, uh, and another uh, Alexandria uh, Farrell, uh, PhD, who wrote about this study. And they basically just simply said, it's riddled with flaws. They even came out and just said, it's just bad science. And it's a career ending science. That's how bad, when you start to write things that, that your peers are going, what the hell did you come up with this? This is bad science. You've signed your death warrant as a scientist because you can't do your job correctly. You couldn't create a proper study. You might have had something. You might have had an idea, but because of the way you treated it and the way that you went about it, it is flawed to the core. And now every other study that might come out after this about ROGD will also be flawed because of how bad you did. If they even take a look at it, because they will look at her study and say, no, that, that, that just doesn't work that way. 
or there may be already studies out there with gender dysphoria that lean so heavily onto the factual base of, like I said earlier, that it, it is a, uh, an early onset and rises and has ebbs and flows in it. Um, and that it's not just somebody switches on a light bulb and says, I have it. Um, and if that's the case, then nobody will ever take a look at this again. Even if it is correct, which, you know, it's not. I mean, yeah, it's just not. There is nobody that's supporting her in this study. And I, and unless they're like a, um, a right-wing group that is anti-trans to begin with, those people will support her. But the general... Uh, the general scientific body has shunned it. So when you're out there and you're looking at um, trying to figure out what the answers are to being gender dysphoric, what you're trying to find out to why am I this way? Why do I think this way? Why do I act this way? Why do I feel more comfortable with the thought of my body being either feminine or masculine different than what I was born with? Why do I think this way? Why do I have um, problems with, um, for me, I have problems with body hair, really have high problems with it. Um, and that triggers my dysphoric issues. Um, I also have problems with my physical parts. Um, and seeing those. And I've always had that. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Um, sometimes I can fool myself into thinking it's okay. Um, but I realize what's going on. I understand how it's happening. I understand how to work with it because I've done so much studies and I've done so much reading and picking it apart and understanding why my brain is the way it is that way. But not everybody has that opportunity, and that's why these kind of studies are so dangerous um, to the population of those in the um, transgender community. So if you're listening to this and you're taking the time, you've made it to this point, please be mindful that there are some really poor studies out there. Don't get pulled into them. Um, trust people like myself who are trying to give you both sides to the coin. Um, if you go to the website, being-trans.org, you can look at the information. I believe I've also included it in there, um, the link to her study. I've included the, the comments from other doctors and other scientists who have also said, you, you got to be joking. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time on it because when I started reading it and found out the flaws that existed in it immediately, I was like, well, I'll give you a little airtime, but not enough to make you factual because it's just so shockingly bad. Um, and when you start reading some of these um, papers over and over, you start realizing what is good science and what is bad science. And when you look at what she did, it is so monumentally bad. Um, I wish that it actually had some answers, but it, it just could not formulate those even in the original hypothesis. Um, nor was there any uh, evidence given for the hypothesis in her writings. So 
I wish you all the best. Thank you for taking the time and listening to today's Being Trans. Uh, stop by the website. Drop me a line. Say hi. We'll talk to you later. Bye now. Thank you.